Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Galatians chapter 4. That's where we are today. As we move through the book of Galatians in our series, Galatians chapter 4, here's the key concept for today. Believers are adopted into the family of God and heirs to the promise. You are inheritors in the family of God. And that's the key that we need to see today in in chapter 4, if you know Christ as personal uh, Savior. So as you find Galatians chapter 4, I wonder if you're familiar with the phenomenon, the the, the meaning of the letters FOMO, F-O-M-O. Are you familiar with that? Fear of missing out. Now, back in the 1990s, that was actually a brainchild concept of of advertising executives. They they started to shift uh, 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 the advertisements that we saw towards this idea of saying, if you don't buy this product, you're missing out. You know, you have to have this in order to have a complete life. But that concept now has been, been incorporated into the experience that people have on social media. Everyone else's life looks so fantastic, it looks like I'm missing out when everybody else is experiencing. Well, I say that because the Galatian Christians are experiencing fear of missing out in terms of the way that the Judaizers are teaching them. They're being told by the false teachers, you may miss out. It's not enough just to have faith in Jesus Christ. You need more in order to be sure that you will inherit the blessing that Paul talked about. And so a question arises in the minds of the Galatian Christian, and that is, what does the journey of the Christian life actually look like? How can I make sure that I'm not going to miss out on all that God has for me? And so, As I asked that question myself as I went to the Word, I I remembered a lecture I heard once. It was a lecture on the the book of Galatians, and the the teacher illustrated the Christian life as uh, told in the book of Galatians uh, as a mountain pathway. I think we have a picture of it. So imagine that that's the path you're walking on, okay? Don't get dizzy. Well, the speaker said, you know, imagine that we're walking on this high mountain pathway, and this is the journey of the Christian life. And on either side of this high mountain pathway, there are two valleys, and both of those valleys lead to bondage and slavery. On one side, the valley we'll call legalism, and legalism is the bondage of an immature, restricted kind of faith experience, and ultimately it will bring you to failure because it's impossible to keep the entire law. That's what we saw in Galatians chapter 3. But the other side of the, of the mountain, the other valley, is a valley called license. Now, you may call it freedom or fun or liberty, but if the freedom side of the valley, if you tumble down into that side of the valley in license and in such a manner that you uh, uh, figure out that I can uh, allow sin to fester in my life and it will be no problem, you also are in bondage. You're in bondage to yourself, to your own fleshly desires, and that ultimately will also separate you from the mature walk with Jesus that you are intended to have. So the the journey of the Christian life is this journey on the peak, if you will, of grace, walking on that mountain pathway, not falling to the right or to the left. 
This is the kind of life that we are meant to live. It's easy to slip into those, into those valleys. And the issue that Paul has been dwelling on thus far in the book of Galatians, and it takes most of his emphasis, is the issue of the valley of legalism. Don't fall into the valley of legalism. Later on in the book, he'll talk about license. But he's warning us against legalism as he writes to the Galatians. And legalism is tricky. It gives the impression of spiritual maturity. It gives the impression of rigor and discipline and knowledge. Legalism uh, appeals to the fleshly desire for achievement and accomplishment and comparison that we as humans naturally have. In other words, for the legalist, it may feel like I'm growing up in the Lord. But Paul is going to remind us in, in chapter 4 that in, in reality, what you're doing is you're slipping back into a spiritual childhood if you need to depend on the law. So as we go to chapter 4, I want to just for a moment step back into ch the end of chapter 3 and set the stage. In chapter 3, verse 26, Paul says this, You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You are all sons of God. Now, what does that mean? It means, first of all, we're in the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. But he's saying more than that when he says, you are all sons of God. Don't be offended in, in the male language there. Don't be offended that he calls us all sons, even though maybe the translation you're reading uh, of your Bible says children there. But in reality, the word is sons. There is a male, a male language used there. And I want you to know that for the ladies in Galatia who have come to Christ in the culture of the day, being called a son of God would have been great news for them. Because in the first century, if, if I'm a son, then it means I am an heir. I am an inheritor of all that God has for me in this place and time, this place and culture. A woman did not inherit. Only the sons did that. So when Paul says, you are all sons of God, the message to the ladies of Galatia was, there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, we are all first-class citizens. We are all sons. We are all heirs. We all inherit. And that was fantastic news. And as he moves on in that imagery in chapter 4, he makes the point, however, that there's a difference between being a potential inheritor and actually gaining possession of your inheritance. So let's read on. Chapter 4, start in verse 1. You follow along with me. He says this, What I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He's subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, the spirit who cries out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son, and since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Paul is saying, just like you don't want to be a slave, 
Neither do you want to remain a child under a guardianship that never allows you to inherit all that you have rightly coming to you. You want to grow past that. You want to mature in the Lord and gain that inheritance. Because the reality is, even in our human world, inheritance can be missed. It can be uh, something that we don't actually receive. I read a story that comes from 2020, an unfortunate story about a woman named Kathy Boone. Kathy uh, lived on the streets of her city. She was homeless for much of her adult life. She struggled with drug addiction. She struggled with mental illness. She slipped into this kind of shadow existence where no one in her family knew where she was. They didn't know how she was doing. Her parents had split up, and and, uh, the family was in disarray. Eventually, her mother died, and her mother left her $900,000. And the estate representatives diligently tried to uh, find Kathy Boone. They met, put messages up on Facebook. They put ads in newspapers. They put flyers out where she might be. They even hired a private detective. But she never responded. She never was connected to that money, and she died penniless on the streets, even though that inheritance was potentially hers. You see, you can miss the inheritance. But by never growing past childhood, but by never actually maturing. And in verse 1 of chapter 4, Paul is saying uh, there is a trustee, there is a, a guardian that watches over children. And in spiritual terms, he's going to make the case that the law, legalism, was your guardian. As a child watches over, uh, as child is watched over. It's a temporary arrangement, he says, but it ends when the time is right. It ends when the child matures or the inheritance will never be claimed. And so in verse 4, he tells us that God always knew there was going to be a time when the guardianship of the law would be made obsolete by the one who would come and perfectly fulfill the law and thus allow grace to flow through those who turn to Him in faith. And this guardianship of the law was was to set the people of God aside, to set the people of God apart, to show that this is the chosen nation, the nation chosen by God to to nurture the Messiah who would be uh, the, the deliverer of grace for the entire world. And so for a season, for a time, it was important. But God always knew that there was a time when that would be set aside for something new. And in verse 4 and 5 of Galatians 4, we have a statement of God's wonderful sovereignty over time and history. He says, But when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. God always knew that that was going to happen, and He knew when the time would be just right for that to occur. Now, sometimes we, we quote that verse at Christmas time and we rejoice that God has the times and the seasons in place. But there's a cultural background to the wording that Paul is using that, there that we don't often see. And that is uh, the, the set, setting of the Roman Empire and the Roman laws, the Roman laws of inheritance. You see, under Roman law, the father had the right to determine when and if his sons would come of age and be considered the inheritors. 
A father determined that, and when the son was ready, the time was right, they held a ceremony that they called the liberalia. And the liberalia was the moment when that son, who has always been in the household but now is fully acknowledged as the, as the son, the rightful heir of the inheritance, the liberalia. And this was at the discretion of the father. It was not unheard of, especially in the ruling classes, that a father might determine that none of his sons are worthy are qualified to step into the inheritance, or it might happen that they don't, he doesn't have any sons. So it was not unheard of that, that in particularly wealthy and ruling class families that a father might uh, bestow the liberalia on some other member of his family, like a nephew or, or a grandnephew, th- those kinds of This is exactly what happened between Julius Caesar and Octavian, who became Augustus. He was, they were not father and son, but he bestowed the liberalia on another relative uh, in the family, and, that be, and he became Emperor Caesar Augustus. Paul is saying, he's using the background of that custom to say, this is what God has done for you. He planned the perfect timing. He planned the perfect way, and he changed your status. In a sense, he declared liberalia over you through Jesus Christ. And so you are all heirs to the promise. Because no matter how wealthy the family, an infant cannot enjoy that wealth. Again, in the Roman world, children were often watched over by slaves. And that child's status when it came to the inheritance was not so much different than the status of the slave. It's the, na- the nanny, so to speak, watching over them. For their entire history, Paul's making the point, in a sense, the Jews have had this nanny of the law watching over us. They have been in a spiritual kindergarten, so to speak. And as such, they're not free to inherit all that God had for them. But he knew that the liberalia was coming in Jesus. And in verse 3, he makes it even a stronger point. He says, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. Your Bible may say basic elements of the world. The term translated there, basic principles, means the fundamental ideas of whatever we're talking about, the the fundamental, most basic ideas. You, You may say it's the ABCs. You need to know your ABCs. But the ABCs are not the full version of what you need to know. You need to know your ABCs in order to read and in order to speak and in order to comprehend. But if you're in school and you're taking a class on Shakespeare and the teacher asks you to stand and recite and you recite the ABCs thinking you have full knowledge, you're not going to get a good grade there. God never intended that, that we stay in the spiritual kindergarten. He never intended that we always just stay with the spiritual ABCs. He wanted us to to move on to be fully adopted as sons in order to be redeemed by Jesus Christ. Redeemed means to be set free. Someone pays the price for my freedom, and we are free not only from the penalty of sin because of Christ's redemption, we are free from the bondage-like influence of the Jewish law. No longer a slave, now a son now an heir, and Paul's point is, why would you want to go back? Verse 7, so you are no longer a slave but a son, 
And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable, miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I have fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you, says Paul in verse 11. Remember when we started this series, I said that in the, the book of Galatians, you hear compassionate rage. It's coming through there. I have, have I wasted my efforts on you? It's compassionate rage. But I want you to remember there's a difference between being a son and being a slave. A son has a father, not a master. There's a big difference between a father and a master. I want you to think back to your grade school years, maybe first grade or second grade. We have to maybe go back in our file cabinets quite a while to, to get back there. But think back there. Did you or anybody in your class ever slip up and call your teacher mommy? Did that ever happen? I remember that. Somebody would, you know, raise their hand, and instead of saying teacher, they say mommy. And oh, when that happened, oh, it was so embarrassing, right? They're horrified to call my teacher mommy. And it doesn't fit. Why? Because the teacher's not mommy. In the same way, no slave would call his master daddy. But in verse 6, he says, through the Spirit of God, you call God Abba, which means Daddy or Papa. We are now in a close, loving relationship with God. We have changed categories. Secondly, a son has the nature of the father, but a slave does not. A son carries the family resemblance. It may be in the way that they look or it may be in their personality and things that they do. I hear it all the time, people saying, oh, I'm turning into my, into my father or, oh, I sound just like my mother. And usually it's followed with, oh, no. But this is a family resemblance that we want as we turn more and more into the conformity to Christ, more and more like the Lord that we love. Thirdly, a son obeys out of love. A slave obeys out of fear. But true obedience is born in love, not in law, not in threat. Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, you will obey what I command. But fourthly, a son inherits, but a slave does not inherit. In Christ, our inheritance is secure. I like the story told by Clark Cothern about his mom. He and his sister, they were just the, the two kids in the household, and she was the, she, she was a, um, she was the head of the home, the head of the house, and she, would, she had a saying that she said. She says, after I pass, keep your eyes out for the gold. And they didn't know what she meant by that. They were not a rich family. They were not well-to-do in any sense. They didn't have gold that they knew of. But she kept saying that. And, and they thought maybe it was her way of saying, look on the bright side, you know, some kind of saying like that. They had no idea what she meant, but they remembered that. After I pass, keep your eyes out for the gold. And one day, of course, that she did pass away, and they were sorting through her stuff, and they started to thinking, keep your eyes out for the gold. Is it possible that mom squirreled away some gold here in this house. And so they looked in drawers, they looked behind cabinets, and, and they searched high and low thinking maybe there was some gold laying around. They didn't find any gold, but they found a key to a safe deposit box in a bank that they didn't know she did business with. And so they went down 
to that bank and they opened that safe, safety deposit box. And inside the box, all they found was a, a lunch sack. And in that lunch sack was a rubber band circling around the lunch sack. They opened up that paper bag and inside the paper bag, sure enough, were three, uh, two three-inch rolls of gold coins. As shiny as the day she put them in there about 40 years prior. Sure enough, they had gold all those years. Their inheritance was secure, even though they didn't understand it. And Paul is saying, your inheritance is secure in, in Jesus Christ. But Paul regrets that he's having to remind them of all these things. There's a sense of personal disappointment that he experiences. And in verse 11, he expresses that. Let's read it. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers, become like me. For I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy? They ministered to Paul when he was ill. Paul had a bond with them because of the way that they had cared for them when he was with them during that first missionary journey, but now he feels somehow betrayed. I read of a mother who was during some heartache with her adult child, a young adult child, and she said, when they're little, they step on your toes, but when they're big, they step on your heart. And that's what Paul feels like. You're stepping on my heart. These children of his, spiritual children in Galatia, and all the more painful because of the closeness that he felt with them because of the way they had helped him. He's pleading with them, understand that turning back will never get you forward. Move onward. Move forward in the Lord. He loves them. He goes, in verse 13, he reminds them of the fact that they had cared for him dearly, and now are you going to treat me as an enemy? And in the final section of the chapter, Paul takes them back to the story of Ishmael and Isaac. It's re recorded in Genesis 16 through 21. And he wants to make a point with them. He reminds them that when Abraham was 85 years old, even though he had, pro he had been promised a son, still no son had arrived. And Sarah, his wife, suggested to Abraham, well, maybe you should try to have a son by my maid, Hagar. Now, I want to note for a moment that even though in the society of that day that was legal, it was never moral, and it was never righteous in God's sight. But soon Hagar is expecting, and Sarah, even though this was her idea, exp explodes in anger, and Hagar is thrown out of the house. But if you remember the story, the Lord intervenes and sends her back and promises to bless her, and sure enough, a son is born, Ishmael. But Ishmael is not the son of promise. Eventually, the son of promise, Isaac, comes. And Paul refers to that history and, and says, you can use those two sons to illustrate two covenants, the covenant of law and the covenant of grace. And eventually, these things cannot live together. Chapter 4, verse 28, Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. We are the children of promise. So as we walk the mountain peak of grace, knowing all along the strong arms of the Lord will guide us and help us and steady us, we walk that pathway with persistence because some will not want us to move forward. 
Some will not want us to, to, to benefit. They will try to knock us off to either of those valleys. But Paul is saying, you've got to hang in there because walking this walk of grace takes persistence. It takes strength, and it takes a, a resolute mind to say, I will follow the way of grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to just end this, uh, this little talk this morning uh, with a lesson on persistence. Do you have WD-40 in your home? Let's see, a, let's see a picture of that, WD-40. Probably you have this somewhere in your house, right? Do you know what WD-40 stands for? Water displacement, yes, good, and the 40? 40 tries to get that formula right. WD-40, 40 tries to get that formula right. Now, these are not creative people who named this product, right? It shows you that a good product doesn't need a flashy name. But it does remind us of the value of persistence. Thirty-nine times the formula was wrong, but the 40th time it, got, it was right. As you use that in your home, you are benefiting from persistence. You are benefiting from a mindset that says, I will hang in there, I will press on, I will continue to try. That's what Paul is saying to the Galatian Christians and us. Press on, hang in there, hold fast to grace, because in grace you have your inheritance. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for that lesson. We thank You for Paul's persistence. And Lord, we thank You for grace, that it's all of You, none of us. Help us to cling tightly to You as we walk that mountain pathway called the Christian life. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.